to the How Could You podcast. I'm Lauren Tossi, here with Ryan Tossi, my co-host. I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> well, if this is your first time listening to us for the How Could You podcast, where we fill big gaps in our film knowledge. We are two people who met at a movie theater and never quite left. Welcome back, Lauren. We, we, we've... We went away from our normal format. We did. And now we're back here, ready to fill up another gap in our knowledge. You know, and honestly, I feel like there was more scrutiny over whether Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween or a Christmas movie than when I said I hadn't seen The Goonies. That's true. That did get a lot of feedback. It it had a lot of good discussion. A lot of great discussion, and I don't feel like it's been settled. I don't think anyone's satisfied with your, like, wishy-washy answer of, like, just watch it in November. I feel like people feel still pretty divided. I'm still going with March 11th. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered the date, that random date that you said. I'm I actually don't. really hoping. Since the show tonight has been the, like, probably the one we've been most nervous about since we've changed shows about three or four different times of what movie we were going to be doing for it. Which really only exposes how many gaps in our film knowledge that we have that we were like, we've got this menu of options. Well, you know, we were trying to do that whole, like, you know, kind of find something that fits with the time. And since a lot of you are watching or listening to this on election day, we were trying to, you know, go with that. So hopefully all of you have voted or going to vote. Vote, please. And if you haven't, how could you not have voted? (laughs) Oh, I loved that so, so much. (laughs) But that's all the politics you're getting here today, folks. (laughs) You know, we wanted to keep it light. So we decided not to go with JFK. We decided not to go with Nixon. We decided not to go with all the president's men. Which are three gaps in our film knowledge. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you which one is for which of us. But we have some presidential gaps in our film knowledge that at some point we'll take care of. We went with... Something everybody can get behind, something that's easygoing, fun, to bring some levity to the world that we are dealing with, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yep, 1985, (laughs) Tim Burton, Danny Elfman, first team up ever, and that is what we're covering as one of our gaps in our film knowledge today. I am completely pumped for this. I know you are. (laughs) Despite the fact that we are doing this on a very quick schedule and turnarounds. We are not recording this the night before it comes out. (laughs) (laughs) You guys may not get the best editing on this one. We are just kind of winging it. (laughs) But you know what? It's Pee-wee. Who cannot just sit here and talk for an hour about Pee-wee? Well, and honestly, isn't it better with Pee-wee not to do a whole lot of preparation? Don't you just have to let it flow organically and magic? There are so many jokes. Not even gonna touch right now. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna try to stay away from all the you know '90s jokes that were made. You leave Paul Rubens alone. <laughs> Paul he Rubens. made a mistake. <laughs> so we um, yes movies. Let's talk about movies. <laughs> August 1985, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Tim Burton. Uh, it was a PG film. I think as it should be. You're right, completely. When you watch it, it does. But I think going back to some of the films we've done so far in that 80s time range and the PG, and we came out going, that didn't deserve a PG rating. Like, so... Oh, like, for example, being a first-year teacher, letting your kids pick what movie they're going to watch as a reward and say it has to be PG or G, and they pick Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and you go, (laughs) wow, a lot of things got into a PG movie back in the 80s. (laughs) 
But yeah, you're right. It it completely deserves a PG rating. And, you know, it depends on which way you come into the Pee Wee Herman aspect of this on why that, you know, could be either surprising or make a lot of sense. So if you're really only aware of the show, which we talk, we'll talk about, I'm sure, at some point today, then, yeah, it makes sense. It was a kid's TV show. But if you start talking about the origins of, you know, the Pee Wee Herman character that's when you start getting to be a little more surprised maybe that it was a PG film. And it has a pretty interesting, like, long journey as to how we get Pee-wee in the version in which we know it. Right. It's a really interesting story with that. So it was started in the 70s. Uh, Paul Rubens, who, if you don't know, Pee-wee Herman is Paul Rubens. Um, so No, no, Pee-wee Herman is Pee-wee Herman. <laughs> Well, Don't shatter thing. the glass. That's a funny thing you say that right off the bat because it's like, you know, that's that's one of those personalities of, you know, trying to figure out who, you know, he is Paul Rubens, but he's so no, known as Pee Wee Herman to the point where his Hollywood Walk of Fame star says Pee Wee Herman. It doesn't Ooh, say really? Paul Rubens. Yeah. So I have to wonder, does that sting or does that mean job well done? I'm going to go job well done. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, you have to, like, take compliment for that, that the character itself is so iconic that that's what gets recognized. Yeah, exactly. I think if you, I mean, gosh, if any of us in this world can create one thing that's everlasting and has, you know, such an impact, I mean, you can't, I mean, that's a success. And he's been riding that success. Oh, so yeah, this for is sure. completely his baby, more or less. So he started out with the comedy group in Los Angeles, The Groundlings. Which has birthed, like, every iconic comedian you can think of from, you know, the 80s on. I mean, The Groundlings was, you know, like, you know, Upright Citizens Brigade, like, all of those kind of troops. And The Groundlings definitely up very much. So, right. I mean, right off the bat, you know, you're you're coming out of a prime, you know, comedic location or group. So he ends up befriending Phil Hartman. So we all know who Phil Hartman is, news radio, SNL, you know, just an iconic comedic character of the 90s that we would know him mostly from. Um, And I was really shocked to find out. I didn't realize how much influence Phil Hartman had until we were researching this show, how much influence he had on the Pee Wee Herman character. Well, and I had no idea that they wrote the screenplay together. Right. And so we were doing research for this, but I had no idea he was involved. They created the character essentially together. I mean, it's going to... It's Paul Rubin's baby. I mean, let's just put that out there. But they, working together with the Groundlings, um, started actually putting together this character. Um, And then the big moment for this character came in 1977. The Groundlings were doing a performance and they had to do it about a comedian that's like a failed comedian type thing. And Paul Rubens goes up there and I guess he was no known for not remembering punchlines. Like, <laughs> that's kind of great. So like that was his whole bit was trying to have a comedian that you ne- knew would never make it. And so the whole purpose of that joke was because he always forgot, you know, these punchlines. And so that night in 77, it was at a comedy club. They, he went up and he did the iconic laugh and he did the, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> Fantastic. And that was the night that Pee Wee Herman was 
essentially officially created. Like, can you imagine being in those like art spaces? And I think this oftentimes when you hear about like how many like comedians will come out of these like enclaves of like artists, like at a particular moment in time. And I always think I'm like, can you imagine being in the room where it happened, not to quote Hamilton. Yeah, I was going to say. But, like, even something like, all right, so, like, Freestyle Love Supreme. You know, yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, these, you know, improv shows that he did with essentially what ends up becoming, like, most of the cast of uh, of Hamilton. And I think, like, do Some you... Some that poor guy that didn't get to be burned. Oh, that one guy. You got to feel bad for him. Yeah. Uh, which, highly recommend watching that documentary if you're a Hamilton fan or just a Lin-Manuel Miranda fan or a fan of, you know, just improv. Art, improv. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, an, it's called We Are Free Style Love Supreme, and it's on Hulu. But I, I, I remember when we were watching that, and now you telling the story about Paul Rubens um, and the Groundlings, like, I wonder if you're in the audience as just someone there to appreciate the art, like, do you know how special the moment is? You know, like, do you kind of get that tinge of going like, I feel like I just watched something happen kind of like, you know, I would say almost like the cliche moment, like in a movie where like the manager finds like the like unknown star. <laughs> right. Like, I was like, do you feel that? I wonder where the that background audience... music starts playing for you yeah. and everything. I think to some degree you probably do. Um, you know, I mean, any person that I think that has grown up with like a, you know, a an area band that ends up going on and doing really well, or you see them in some dinky club and then they go on and they end up being this huge hit and you're following through that whole time. I think you do, right? Like, That's I think you get that special that, yeah. moment. I mean, how many times do you always hear those old stories of, you know, parents and grandparents talking about how they, they saw the Beatles here or they saw, you know, I think your grandfather. My grandfather saw, saw Frank Sinatra perform in Hoboken, New Jersey for like a buck. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like, I mean, but you know it, like, I think you do to, to some degree. I'm not saying every single situation. I'm not saying everybody in that audience that night was like, oh, this is going to be this huge <laughs> hit. Baby Herman is going to be the greatest thing ever. All right, we, we don't have to throw pens. I'm really sorry, audience. I did. I just threw a pen. I didn't mean to. If you know me, though, you know I gesticulate wildly with my hands, so it shouldn't be that surprising. So, BB, he ends up taking the name, actually, from a mini brand, a miniature harmonica that okay. I guess he was, like, a big fan of as a kid. It's really funny. And a friend of his as a kid of uh, with the, that he took the surname from. And that's how he combined it. And he said that he thought it was a good name because he thought it was a name that he could envision parents giving to a kid, but parents that didn't really care about the kid. <laughs> I'm so glad I waited until you were done with your sentence because I'd be like, oh my gosh, if we have a kid, we should name him Pee-wee. Yeah, but I don't know. Because of some of the things we've already touched upon at the beginning of this show, I don't think that's the name we want to go with. <laughs> you said touched upon. <laughs> Anyways. Family friendly, family friendly podcast. <laughs> so, all right. So then, what happens is he actually ends up moving this character, and actually, I don't know much more than just the he was on the dating game like three yes, or four he times. Was. Yeah, I know nothing about the dating game. I just assumed it was like a you know you know three guys come out, a girl picks a thing. So did he go as the character? Yes, he did. Like to try to actually win the date. Yes. He went as the character, like deep, like the deep fake, and was like, I'm gonna be he was Pee-wee Herman I have trying to, find to get a date. These old episodes. Honestly, if anyone has the link to them, please send them to us. Oh my um, gosh. Because that's fantastic. I, I read that and I was like and horrible, really? Right? Like, I mean, 
Or fantastic. <laughs> Until you're the one that picks. Oh, I guess there's no way they were picking. Yeah, there's probably no way you're picking Pee Wee Herman. But like at the same time, like it's just like such a great way of doing this because like you think about like how people invest in like dating shows. I'm thinking about like if someone pulled that now with The Bachelor, right. like and was just testing out a character from their like theater improv troupe, how fantastic that would be. So, you know, through the course, then he kind of, you know, he keeps honing this character and, and it's evolving as any type of character does, any type of bit goes. And he keeps moving that character forward. You start getting the iconic look with him. Mm-hmm. You start getting the different mannerisms with him. His background was kind of left ambiguous in the beginning. And, you know, just through all of the different shows and things, it keeps getting more and building. It's like the on. mythology built, yes, like with the character, yeah, you know. Um, but then this is when he. So Paul Rubens actually tries out for Saturday Night Live in the early eighties, nineteen eighty, and doesn't get it. <laughs> I, that always makes me sad when you hear like actors talk about that them not getting on SNL. Well, it's funny when you have different characters that, or different actors that you hear that you're like, oh, they're such a good comedic actor, but they didn't make it onto yeah. the show completely. And it is interesting because then obviously, as we know, Phil Hartman goes on to be such a mean stay on Saturday Night Live. But so his character actually gets its first like appearance on in Cheech and Chong's next movie in 1980. So much so, this I've never seen any of the Cheech and Chong films before. You never, I don't believe you ever have either. No, I've seen clips, and from a pop culture knowledge, I know enough, but... I actually had to get you to look this up, just yes. to make sure that I, we weren't misreading this, because I was surprised. I had not, again, I had not heard this before, so... Uh, but he ends up appearing in that film, and then after that... Um, he, this is when he really takes off. He actually takes that character and does a stage show. And this is kind of the funny thing with this character of where we started this at was that character in the stage show was, there was a lot more sexual innuendos. It was a lot more adult. Like, think Pee Wee's Playhouse, but in an adult version of it. But like if HBO did a reboot. Well, it's funny you say that, because that's actually who aired that special. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) So it was at the Roxy Theater, September 11th, 1981. They showed that show. So that starts to be this notoriety for Pee Wee. Then he starts making, after that, starts making these appearances on the David Letterman show. David Letterman has him repeatedly coming back, and he has one of those reoccurring characters. And that's where Paul Rubens says that Pee-wee became a star. The stage show with HBO made him famous. Letterman made him a star. And... He starts to take off, and then after all the Letterman appearances, he starts selling out. Car- he does a huge sold-out show at Carnegie Hall, which just kind of makes me have the Andy Kaufman of it all. Right? I was immediately <laughs> gonna say that, like you hear Carnegie Hall and like comedians, it's like, oh, it's that Andy Kaufman thing, and you yeah. think about like the the type of character that Pee Wee Herman is, like it, it definitely like fits within that league. Yeah, absolutely. So all of that, that's your background to Pee Wee and how we get to. Tim Burton's Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of. So again, this character was made to be a late night comedy club character. Like, it was meant to be this more adult kind of goofy version of comedy. Like, taking a kid's show and making it for adults. 
Well, and what I love about that, like immediately with the history of that is because you so can see how that juxtaposition works because all of the whimsy and all of like the fantasy, like, or the fantastical elements, I should say, of like Pee Wee Herman, like that juxtaposed against someone who's telling really raunchy jokes works so, so well because it's so disarming because you don't know if you should be offended by the fact that it's coming out of someone who's doing a character like that or if it's the funniest thing you're ever going to see because it shouldn't come out of your mouth. It's like when a kid says a curse word. You kind of want to laugh at first because it's like it's so not right, but there's something so (laughs) funny about how not right it is. Yes, completely. (laughs) So Phil Hartman is still kind of attached with Paul Rubens. They're still writing. Uh, Warner Brothers brings Paul Rubens in, and they want him to to do a film. So he's working on essentially a retelling of Pollyanna with Pee Wee Herman. Um, Which I'm just picturing Pee Wee Herman (laughs) with the wig now. (laughs) So that's his plan. He's, he's writing this. It's getting a little bit more. And then what happens is he starts seeing everybody riding on bikes at Warner Brothers and starts asking about it. And they're like, oh. And they end up giving him a Schwinn bike like so he could ride it around. Well, that gives him this whole new kind of way that he wants to write the script. And he completely throws out the original script that he has and starts re- they start rewriting with Phil Hartman and I believe Mike Voke. Uh, he never did a lot more than the Pee Wee stuff. Uh, so they start working on this. It's essentially supposed to be a loose retelling of the Italian film The Bicycle Thief. Which, I'm going to say, for a loose retelling, please understand, if, you're, if you've not experienced The Bicycle Thief... Uh, or it's actually, it's the bicycle thieves in Italian, the bicycle thief in the American translation. Um, it, it is not a happy movie. It is a very depressing movie. So we have it's, a very big departure. Yes, it is. It's genius. It's brilliant. It's considered by many the best film of all time. However, it is not the same in tone right. at all to what Pee Wee's Big Adventure is. So then we get a very young, first time film, major film director... Tim Burton, who you've heard a couple times on this show already, takes this, you know, takes over this project. And this is hot off of him doing Frankenweenie, yeah. the short film, and Invictor, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he had done those, yes, and that's how he kind of got, like, the yes. attention. So they start working on this. They release the film August 9th, 1985, to mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but it did really well. Like, that was the thing. It did really... Despite the reviews, it did very well. So, basically, it got a cult following. It got a, you know, much like we've talked about with Tim Burton, it gets this following of cult fans, but people that love it. It's taken down to be more of a kid's film, but adults could enjoy it because there's a little bit of that in there. And you get this film that is, you know, now stood the test of time as we are here. And... You get this just fantastic film that everybody that loves film should have seen. Which makes me to the the big question here. Lauren Tossey, how could you not have seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Hold on, I'm going to turn this around on you. Ryan Tossey, how could you have not put this in your top five Tim Burton films when we talked about The Nightmare Before Christmas? (laughs) Yeah. That one's for you, Marlo. (laughs) Yes. You had a friend that had had pointed out that I had completely forgotten this film. And I totally dodged. I was like, yeah, how dare he? Totally dodging that. I'm like, I have only recently seen this movie, and I am not telling her that. You know, 
I absolutely love this movie. It is, I just, I forget it's a Burton film. Well, and here's the thing. It's easy to forget it's a Burton film insofar as the part of it that you think of most is the character of Pee-wee. And because, although there are a lot of like very specific like director trademarks from Tim Burton, including his phenomenal cameo. Oh my God, right? <laughs> as yeah. the guy who almost like beats Pee-wee up before he goes to see the fortune teller. <laughs> It, it has some hysteria. Yes, it's <laughs> great. Um, but I think it doesn't have like all of like kind of the production design in the tonally dark way that we expect from Timber. Right. Like, it's oh his my pro- gosh. And I and I'm sure we're going to talk about the production design with this. But I think it's like so you forget it, and then it's like and it's so great because this is this first pairing, you know, with Danny Elfman, you know, essentially. And I mean, I'm sure many of you know the story. Tim Burton, you know, was at an Oingo Boingo concert, which was Danny Elfman's band, and I believe he was with Paul Rubens. Am I he mistaken? He was with on Paul Rubens, okay, yeah. And he approached Danny Elfman and was like, "I think you should do this." And Danny Elfman was like, "I have no training in writing a film score." And Tim Burton's like, "Yeah, but I think you could." And the weird, think it's th- worked out for him. It's worked out for him so well, and I'm just like, man. A friend believing in you can be all the difference in the world because this guy had no intentions of doing this. And that score is so, so important. And he pulls like elements from like Bernard Herrmann's score from Psycho, you know, and and pulls all of these influences, but then pulls influences, but so uniquely makes its immediate signature style of of composing. And not to jump too far ahead in the film, but then the bicycle chase. That's pulling from Wizard of Oz, right? Yes. Okay, all right. Yeah. 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 No, the influences are supposed to be um, so, and and because and there's a part um, when he when the bicycle is first stolen from him, that's supposed to pull from the Psycho score. Um, but to answer your question, okay, so no, I did not see this as a youth. I remember the TV show. Yes. I remember the big chair. I remember Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> so I remember that very well. And then, like, when I was old enough to understand certain varieties of jokes about Paul Rubens, I knew that. <laughs> but I just never gone back and watched the film. And I don't think for any, like, big particular reason. But the thing is, is, like, I felt compelled to watch it. And only recently, because you always talk about it so fondly and with, like, total childlike glee, which is, I think, exactly how you should approach this film. <laughs> but it was just not one of those movies that I had seen. I was I never really attached onto it. But it's weird, is I can remember a lot about the TV show, so it's kind of funny that I never watched the film. The show is awesome. Oh, like, fantastic. I, I'm totally with you. Like, I'm glad that you have that you know, memory with the show as well and, and have such a fondness for it. The secret word is podcast. Yeah, yes. We definitely should have started <laughs> yes. that at the beginning. Um, I actually had a uh, talking Pee Wee Herman doll. Of course you did. Yeah, it was like, I don't know, like two, three foot tall and you pull it and it just gave all the best lines. He had the whole, I love that doll. That, oh, that's so yes. fun. <laughs> but so I'm totally with you. The TV show to me was everything for a long time. Yeah, because I remember like it was really funny. I know, granted, I would have been watching this in like syndication, so certainly not during its first run, um, you know, because the movie came out before I was alive. Um, but so I, you know, I, I attach very much to that, but it's really interesting having grown up with in some variety, like the TV show to then go back and watch the movie because I feel like more of what you are kind of talking about with like, there's meant to be this adult humor, I feel like comes through a lot more in the film and maybe because I'm watching it as yeah, an adult. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot now you can get a lot more accessible to getting that original 
uh, show and, and watching it to see all of that. And, and the show loosely put that stuff in there, you know, very loosely, obviously. But there were aspects of it. Like, you see it. Like, you get it. But... Yeah. Um, so, all right. You you now have seen the movie. Yes. So we, you actually saw it for the first time last year. Yes, so, a year ago. Okay. Yep. I need to know right off the bat, because this is a very unique character. It's a very unique type of film. So... Now, I know you had the history, you know, you had this nostalgia of the TV show, but having seen the film as an adult, I need to know, what are your thoughts? Like, does it hold up? And what are your thoughts? So I have many thoughts um, and and I have questions for you, too. Um, But this is what I'll immediately say. First off, I think the opening scene of him getting ready in the morning is what most people think I look like when I'm getting ready in the morning. Like I imagine if people like Matt trying to imagine me get ready in the morning, that's what they're kind of picturing in their head. Heading in that breakfast, a hundred percent you, hundred percent you. I will show you the note on that. Like that is how you make your breakfast. Like I feel like you know you put the smiley face on it, you talk to it. If you get it's me with completely a completely sugar, <laughs> yes, it's, if you get me with a Mickey waffle, like I will make that thing talk in a Mickey Mouse voice. And I, for the longest time as a youth, ate my pancakes not with syrup but with butter and sugar, <laughs> like packets. And I don't know why, because essentially that's. And I remember like my family used to say like that's what syrup is, and I'm like, no, I have to have straight up like just sugar, granulated sugar on my pancakes. <laughs> It's a whole different type of how could you podcast that we're not going to get into. But here, here's the thing. Hold on, though. I have to ask, though. We're what? talking about the breakfast. Yeah. We need to bring back Mr. T cereal. We totally need to bring back Mr. <laughs> T cereal. Honestly. Pity the fool who doesn't bring back Mr. T cereal. And given the fact that you still own a bottle of, or a box of Flutie Flakes, I am shocked we don't have a Doug box Flutie's of Flutie's <laughs> cereal. Is everything, okay? I'm sure that thing's just powder in there at this point. Every move it makes when we change apartments, I just think this is the time it disintegrates. <laughs> but Mr. T's cereal is literally just teas. Yes, I know. It's so genius. And I love that it was real because I would have assumed that it didn't exist, but the fact that it was real. But, so going back to your original question, yes, I love this. Yeah. I am, so I obviously, like, so the... Pee Wee Herman character, what I love about him is like, there are times where I find him very disturbing (laughs) and kind of, and kind of at times irritating because we will get into his relationship with Dottie and I have some very harsh notes. He's not really He's not real great with Dottie. And I love Dottie. But like, I, I don't know. I just feel like I get the character of Pee Wee Herman. He makes a lot of sense to me. And I don't know what that says about me as a person, but I'm just like, I totally get this dude. I desperately, like, and I think this comes down to production design and my... Like, love affair with this character really comes down to that, just that one scene in his house. Because I love all of the intentionality of, like, how playful the house is. Every holiday is decorated for... I, if, if ever I could find the like nightlight he has by his bed, that it's the moon and then it flips over and it's like the ship on the inside. Like there's not one aspect of that home that I'm not like, that is my ideal home situation. It is. It's, it, yeah, it's definitely home goals. Yes, like, it really especially is. Especially for us. Yeah, especially for us. And if you see our home, you're probably like, guys, you ain't that far off. <laughs> I love, I'm glad you talk about that scene because I really love that scene because 
and this is a real credit to Burden. He sits in that scene for a long time. Yeah. There's, it really has no bearing on the entire film. No. It, it, with any of it, except for, you know Pee Wee Herman. You know this wild, eccentric character all from that whole entire scene. And I'm glad that he allows it to marinate and take as long as it does. Because it's fun. It brings you into the film. It lets you know who... Kiwi is to some degree. Well, and but honestly, what I love about that and everything you just said is like pretty much what I wrote down. Like you just you get to know him so beautifully, so instantaneously because of all of the set dressing around him. You know, you have all the Rube Goldberg machines. You have like just the way it's decorated, the colors, how he is in his home space, and I think that's so important. So that way, when he goes on this like his big adventure, you when you see him like transposed in other places that are not his home space, you really get a sense of like how the world interacts with him. But what I also love, and I'm sure we'll talk about is like that he isn't met with any like kind of like side eyed, this dude's super weird. Like, it's just like, he's so accepted in his like town and then in his home space and he's just pee. And I'm like, I just love that. And I think that's, he's, that's the most Burton part of the movie is that home. And that's what's fun about it. It's, I agree with you. He's a cartoon character in a real world. Like, and he gets to be a cartoon character at one point. Yeah. And I mean, I know that they definitely go and there's a lot of non-reality type moments throughout the film. But for the most part, everybody else is played fairly straight. And then you just have this really wild character <laughs> in the middle of it. Well, and I love too, because he's not just, I mean, he's got like, there's dimensions there. I mean, for the most part, like he's just, he's very, you know, and to use the word, like he's whimsical. Like he kind of, you know, looks at the world in a very particular way. Like he's, it's all about fun and all about play and all about, you know, kind of like color and vibrancy. But I also love that he is like a dude who gets very angry about things <laughs> and, like, and very like, very particular about like how people should interact then with his world. And like that whole, just that whole opening scene, like in his home space, like it's so, it's such a brilliant mark of like, where Tim Burton certainly was going to go with his career that I don't know. There's something about it. Like it all is so fantastical, but also feels like very real at the yes. same time, which I think is such a weird balance to strike. And it's so believable and it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel absurd. Like it just no. feels like this is Pee Wee's world. Of course it is. But that's, that's such a credit too, though, to Paul Rubens, right? I mean, he perfected this character, yes. um, you know, the mannerisms, you know, from everything from the outfit, but his mannerisms, the way he walks, the way that he runs to obviously this very noticeable voice, you know, and, and every aspect of it is just, it doesn't feel like Paul Rubens makes it real. And I think that's the, the beauty of that character. It doesn't feel like, again, Paul Rubens playing Kiwi Herman he becomes Pee Wee Herman. He became his own individual person that even outside of the film, we know him as Pee Wee more than we know him as Paul Rubens. And I think that's such a credit to him. No, for sure. And it makes the believability of this really eccentric film believable. Yes. And because I think it's all like rooted, like there's, and I know you and I can talk a lot about this because we're sensitive, ushy gushy people, but there's like a lot of heart to the movie too, because I feel like, the way people around him react to him is they don't make him feel outside and strange. They they look they at him, him. They Everybody look yes. Him. They look at him Even the way Francis, you could kinda argue 
envies and loves him. Okay, I don't even likes him. I'm gonna say very harsh things about Francis too. Like, but (laughs) but you're right. Is there is such that like germ of you understand that like at the root of what Francis does is really like he wants to be like Pee Wee, and I just love that like Tim Burton had and Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman like that they had the intention of saying like this is a character that the world in a world that could deal with him cynically is going to deal with him earnestly. And I really love that because then you, what you have in equal measure in this film is the fantastical and the absurd and very much reality. Like, and, and I feel like those things being put in equal footing and done with equal measure is what makes this movie so special. And what makes it like, stand up in a way where I didn't feel rewatching it that it felt like particularly dated. Like, yes, like references and such, but it didn't feel No, old. my gosh, right? It didn't For feel... For a film in 1985, I, I kept taking note of that again, rewatching it and going, no, this film does not feel outdated at no. all. Good like, filmmaker, great practical effects. Yeah, yeah. like... Awesome I settings. Mean, the way that it visually just plays on the screen is fantastic. I agree with you. Like, yeah, there's some outdated aspects of it. Preferences, you can't ever yeah. get away from that to some degree, but but it it holds up completely from a visual standpoint and just the way that it's, it's all shown to you. So, which, again, is another Tim Burton, you know, credit... Which I think is just the beauty of the Tim Burton. It's just so interesting with him being that this was his first film. Even though you have that couple of scary moments, like it's one of his more brighter, happier films. Yeah, it kind of almost forecasts like what he'll be able to do with Big Fish yes. later on. It, it's I, I would agree with you if you're going to take a Tim Burton was double feature. Was that literally the thing you were about to say about no, Big no, Fish? No, 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 <laughs> I wasn't. But you're completely right. Like they they pair very well. Mm-hmm. Like you see. Those two, and you're talking about Tim Burton, you're going to put two films together. Those two work together very much. Oh my gosh, the protagonists are the same. Oh gosh, I feel like I want to do a deep dive now on like yeah. looking at like Pee Wee's Big Adventure and then <laughs> I also mean, looking at you know, Fish. There's a little more seriousness, a little more grounded aspects to Big Fish. For sure. But, you know, I mean, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, there's never, at never any point do you feel any type of real drama in it. Like, all the drama is played for a lot of... Fun. Yeah, because it, it's a it's a very much like that like kind of great epic journey story, but like the stakes are the stakes always feel like very much mitigated by the fact that it's a bike and like Pee Wee's okay and everyone's really nice to Pee Wee along in the journey. They all just kind of except Francis, they all just kind of want to help him. Even the guy who like Francis has lift the bike seems like kind of okay like okay as a human being. <laughs> like, um, and and it's I, yeah, I think there's so much of that. It's like no, get, right? Comparatively speaking to like Big Fish, it's definitely something that's a lot like. Right. But, I mean, Big Fish is based around. <laughs> you know, father dying. Yeah, so it's a lot I mean, can't get away from, yeah, the seriousness of that part of it, but... But the I, burden of this all, like, I think there's so many moments, too. It's like you can kind of, like, look at his later films and go, like, where he was definitely testing his chops. Like, I love how the sequence when they're sitting up and the dinosaur is shot. That is so beautiful. I oh, want a print yeah. of that. Like, it was gorgeous. It was just, like, this, oh, like... I always wanted to go visit those dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not sure if they're real. Because yes, they, they are, are real. They are, right? Are well, they the same ones that are in The Wizard? I don't know that, but okay. I will tell you, they are a real roadside attraction because this is Tim Burton actually, before he became a filmmaker, knew he wanted to do something with those dinosaurs. Oh, nice. So that's how they end I up. I love that he didn't just goes right away. Like, yeah. I might have one shot at I it. I only have one I'm movie. And like, and that's what, and like, then like dinosaurs are like such like a motif throughout the film because like, I mean, aren't dinosaurs like such a part of like play as a child? Like, you know, something that's like so disconnected from your own reality, but like this thing that like we all at some point
some point in our life, I think, get kind of attached to as part of, like, our imagination. And then that plays throughout the movie with, like, how many times there are references to dinosaurs yeah. throughout. So it's a, it's a really cool thing that he does. But I just love that shot. I love the coloring there. And it's another one of those, like, moments in his journey. And I think that's the other thing, like... Things that even feel dangerous in his journey are, like, so innocent. Because, like, probably my favorite person he meets on the road is I Love Mickey. Like, I just... <laughs> I love that whole sequence. I just think it's great. I, I love the fact that it, it plays off that urban legend of, you know, the cutting the tag off of... Yes! Of, of <laughs> um, because, I mean, that was the thing that we always... You know, I, I don't know where that really came from. I'm sure that there was something... I'm sure there's some reason. But yeah, that whole interaction is fantastic. And I love that Pee Wee knows right away that he's a criminal and it just doesn't really care. But isn't that just, again, what Burton does so beautifully? And like, and I write, and bring this back to, because obviously this is Paul Rubin's creation, but just like the idea of like how Pee Wee interacts with the world is I think why people meet him with such kindness because he like puts out like what he gets in return. Like he puts out a lot of kindness and love into the world and like helpfulness and like, you know, desire to kind of like be good. And I think then he kind of, People oh. respond in kind. It's actually like a really like beautiful like kind of story and way and lesson to t- like teach to children. So Pee Wee puts out kindness, happiness. Character that may not. Francis Buxton. I hate Francis so much. I got <laughs> visibly angry every time he came on the screen. He is sniveling and grotesque and annoying and I don't wish violence on people but I found myself wishing violence on him throughout the movie. He is the living worst. I mean there's no redeeming quality to no, Francis he is all. awful <laughs> and like if this was an episode about the adult version of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I would be certainly using some adult language to talk about Francis because I just find he's so, he's the only like viciously unlikable part of the movie. Francis is played by Mark Holton. Do you remember uh, another annoying character that Mark Holton played? Oh my gosh, is he Stuart, like the grown-up uh, version of <laughs> Stuart Angel, come here to mommy. So it's from, if you don't know, it's from A League of Their Own. I'm sorry for like that vicious like impersonation. But oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, but he's kind of sweet when he's grown up he in is, A League uh, of yes. Their Own. And I always loved him. He was in the Teen Wolf movies. He played. He, he played one of uh, Scott Howard's uh, basketball teammates. Oh my gosh! And then I'm gonna say it. I'm one of the few people that like Teen Wolf Two. T O O. T O O. He plays in that too. He plays one of the. Um, yeah, he plays one of the boxers at the at the school in that film. I didn't realize we were gonna have this much backstory with Francis. Although I feel like now knowing that he's. You know, the kid from A League of Their Own, yeah. it makes me a little softer about or the grown-up version of the kid from he A League is, of Their Own. He is terrible, even he though really, I want his does. bathtub, and I would, even now, as a, an adult, want my giant, you know, uh, aircraft carriers. I know. It's like, I was like, oh, that's a really great way to take a bath. Good for, good on you, Francis. Good on you. He also played Ozzy in the Leprechaun films, for those who are... are horror movie fans. Like Ozzy Osbourne? He played Ozzy Osbourne? <laughs> Sorry, you said Ozzy and that's all I heard in my head. I was like, wait a second, that doesn't seem right. I don't remember that in the Leprechaun movie. So another main character in here we need to talk about is Dottie. <gasps> I love her. I love Dottie so much. I love her dress at the end. She is so sweet. She is so endearing. 
And, like, in the moments when Pee-wee is, like, total trash to her, she's still just, like, very nice. And she so does not deserve his sass. Okay, so he does give her a lot of sass. A lot of sass. But are we not to play that Pee-wee kind of has a childlike way about him? And I think that he's kind of doing the, ew, girls are gross type of, you know, old school... Yes, I think their their chemistry is played for the fact that it's a little bit of a he's like unwilling because he thinks like, you know, dating's gross or he doesn't really have time for he's more concerned with his bike. And I think it's also because like, you know, it's meant to be like a kid's movie. So it's not about like the romantic interest. But even if you just take it from like a friendship standpoint, he's yeah. still kind of mean to he her. He is kind of mean. <laughs> I can't argue with that. I don't Dottie love is it. so wonderful She's to him. Pure she goodness. Goes, pure goodness. Evidently, you know, the greatest bike, you know, fixer. Greatest, know. greatest bike fixer bike in fixer. the land. That is a real job title, right? <laughs> I want that job title. And fun fact, she was on the TV show Friends. Do you remember who she played on the TV show Friends? I do. She was Phoebe's ex-partner. Yes, so the yes. famous Smelly Cat episode. I she was Elizabeth Daly. I remember her from she plays in the um, she sings in the uh, the dance scene in Better Off Dead. I, I was oh, always wow. like, why is this main character from Pee Wee just have this bit singing part in this? So I'm guessing she was a real singer because no, of she was the whole yeah. Phoebe, yeah. yes. And now she's in the whole Rob Zombie verse, and she seems to pop up in those films. She did a lot of voice work, like she was the Powerpuff Girls. I don't remember Buttercup. She she's Buttercup. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, but she, I, I do. I love Dottie in this movie. Yeah, she's Dottie's so great. great. She's so sweet to to Pee Wee. We have another character we have to talk about, but just because it's a fun fact. So the dog Speck, do you know what other movie the dog Speck was in? I don't. The dog Speck is Queenie in The Burbs. Oh my gosh! Finds the femur! (laughs) Hold, I'll do you one better. And is precious in Silence of the Lambs. Oh my (laughs) god! Really? I thought precious was like a poodle! No, well, so you have to remember that Speck is painted in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the dog's real name is Darla. Oh my I God. believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Pee Wee is the first movie that Darla was in and then was in. I gotta be honest with you, the dog might be the most famous actor in the entire <laughs> it film. It might be. <laughs> That's awesome. That is such a great fact. Um, all right, so let's start talking about favorite scenes. Do you have one? I have so many. So, okay, so... I'm going to narrow it down to three. Is that okay? Is yeah. that fair? Okay. So my three favorite scenes are, well, obviously I've already. Narrowed it down to three. Yes. Sorry. I narrowed it down to three. Oh, I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, so obviously I've already talked about the opening breakfast sequence yeah. and why I love that so much. Cause it speaks, it speaks to how I want my mornings to start every day. Um, and then additionally, I absolutely love the movie within the movie with PW and Pee-wee's great adventure, like or Pee-wee's big adventure turned into like a spy thriller romance. Like, I just love it so much because Page and Mr. Herman. Page and Mr. Pee-wee Herman. And it's like, I love that they give him like a cameo. And I just love it because I feel like it's like such a like fun commentary on the film industry that the thought would be, no, this this story would never sell with this like earnest, like, childlike guy going on a search for his bike. No, the only way people would see this is if it's, like, a sexed-up thriller version of that story. And I'm like, that's so accurate to Hollywood. And Paul Rubens playing Pee-wee Herman, playing this character is so good in that entire scene of just this awkwardness. 
I love it. The Simpsons steal that whole thing later on. There was a whole episode about Bart being with the mob, and then they make a movie about him. But then they completely change it so much that we Neil Patrick Harris plays Bart in the movie. But they're like they changed it just enough that we didn't have they didn't have to pay us any money. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just love that sequence. Well, I mean, yeah, I love the whole like them like like. You know him promenading at like the drive-in and, so and getting cool. to see I love the characters. That yeah, that you bring everybody back. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, so so I would say like definitely that. And then my third is, and I I mean I think this is a fan favorite for a lot of people, the large barge scene. Like that claymation is so outstanding. It and then the reveal. The, it is the. I mean that's the scene. That's the that most iconic the scene. scene in the entire film. Um, yeah, you're right, and it's so terrifying as a kid like you're seeing it as an adult i'm still pretty creeped out man i was gonna say it holds up being creepy (laughs) and i love yes you're right that's like this such this great burden moment of using the claymation to make this very terrifying character yeah and it feels like so like interestingly plopped into the sequence but it's like also that part of like the journey and like him the other part i'll say i really love oh gosh now i'm gonna say a bonus fourth scene please don't be mad at me. oh let's talk about it i love the whole like sequence of him like driving around or riding around the Warner Brothers back lot. And the bike chase scene, right? The bike chase scene. Yeah, I mean oh, that is my gosh. That payoff to the entire movie is is fantastic because you're building up to him get this bike back. Yes. And then you get to see the bike in all its glory. You know, you're getting all the Hollywood aspects of it this great chase scene you get to see why he loves this bike so much because you see all the aspects of the bike the everything the bike can do yeah the bike can do no i agree with you completely that is an awesome scene well and i think sometimes like i always get like really excited and i know you probably do too when like as we got to tour the warner brothers studios when we were like yeah. out vacationing in los angeles and like and the fun thing about that is is like once you've been on those sets and those lots and by those sound stages, you start recognizing them in things because like anytime USA, you start like picking up like other places it's been used and it's been used like very frequently throughout film and television. And I just love like that. They let this really big cinematic moment happen. So meta on these back lots. Like it's so fantastic. And then to end with this like hyper meta moment of like him having his own movie. It's just, it's also genius because if you had asked me at the beginning, of the movie the first time I saw this where is this going to end that's never what I would have predicted <laughs> I mean it takes so many sharp turns yes. like but that's awesome too because like that's why when you can sit here and go oh I got four or five different favorite scenes I get it because every scene's almost like its own vignette like oh it's truly yeah. Own, yeah you could take it as its own mini little film like talking about the large Marge scene if you had asked me before we rewatched it I would have told you that scene was like 10, 15 minutes in the oh, entire really? film. Like, it wasn't until I went, because that scene is so big and it's and, yeah. and, and so impactful that you, I forgot it was only like a two-minute scene at best. Like, it's a very quick scene. So I'll ask you, is is that your favorite scene then? It's the most memorable scene. So what is your favorite scene um, from? Well, I, you know, I, I can sit there and, it's one of those things we can sit there and talk about them all, right? Like, so kind of two that I also love. But before I get there, I got to ask you, though. This is my big question to you. What's up? He's driving on the lot. If you could only see one film out of all of the ones that he's making, are you going to see The Nun TV Show, The, the Beach Party Movie, The Santa Christmas Movie, The Twisted Sister Music Video, 
the Godzilla film or the Tarzan movie. You can only pick one. Which movie within a movie do you want to see? Were you buying your ticket to in 1986 when it came out in that summer? <laughs> um, which was also the summer you were born. <laughs> yes. Um, I would say... Well, I'm always going to lean towards a Christmas movie. Although I got weirdly, like, giddy when I was like, oh, my God, that's D. Snyder. What's up with that? Like, <laughs> Because I really definitely reacted to that. But def- uh, the Christmas movie, obviously. It kind of had the feel, though, that Christmas movie kind of looked like it was going to be everyone's holiday favorite Scrooge moment <laughs> where the night the reindeer died. Had <laughs> like, a moment. Lee Majors. Yeah. Um but the two scenes also that I want to talk about with it are the the other most iconic scene in the movie, the dance scene. <gasps> oh, he's at the bar. So phenomenal. With Satan's helpers. Yes, <laughs> which I just love. And which did you know the? I did not realize that the female biker is, is Elvira. Elvira. Yes. No idea. I did actually. No know idea. That. See, this is a little research and look what happens. <laughs> uh, no, I had no idea. Um... But that dance scene, I, I, for the longest time, thought Tequila was the Pee Wee Herman song. Like, did you really? I did. I thought that song was made for that movie and for that character because it became so iconic. My whole dance moves all come from Pee Wee Herman. So here's the thing. I was like, not going to do you like that, but you truly do that dance. <laughs> like whenever we're at like a festive gathering and there is dancing to be had, that is the dance you do. So one Christmas, just get me some white platform shoes. They can go really nice with the purple the snakeskin purple ones. I got And then I can get on the... T- but that scene... That, it's that, so great. That's, that's the... Next to the large march to me, that's got to be the most iconic scene yeah. of that entire movie. So that one... And I just love when they, they throw him down and they're tell, all trying to figure out what they're going to do to him and he just goes under his voice. He's just like... I say let him go. <laughs> it just audibly still makes me laugh well, out loud. Well, because you saying that, what I love is essentially like... What I love about the trajectory of the movie and how it was written is essentially like take this character who, you know, is so rich, so like well-developed in, in his, like, as we've been saying, like this kind of childlike state, but just plop him into every like film trope you can think of. Like, <laughs> like the biker gang that turns okay with him. And then like kind of the horror of the large Marge sequence and this like kind of adventure of him trying to get the bike and just see how this character would react in these different movie genres. And it's like such a smart thing. And so like when you have that like great scene where he's dancing, it's like, to me, it like harkened back to like great kind of solo dance sequences and like your, oh, yeah. you know, your large it's spectacle music. was one of the main iconic dance scenes of, of all time. Yeah, because it's great. It's hilarious and it plays and it's also like fun at the same time. It's not just like funny to watch, but it's also like super entertaining to watch him yeah. do that. And I don't care. That sound comes on. I'm envisioning Pee Wee <laughs> and I want to start doing the dance. I also, really quick, I love the when he loses Mickey. And he's in the dark, and they have the cartoon (laughs) eyes for a while, and then he turns it on, and they have just these, like, terrible, like, stuffed uh, animals there that that are supposed to be terrifying. It's just a cool scene. But the other one is um, props to the the Alamo, because as a kid... What I learned about the Alamo came from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And I can still to this day, we'll do the stars at night are big Big and bright. Deep in in the the heart of Texas. Texas. (laughs) I lived in Texas. They do that. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Yeah, and just the fact of going, I couldn't as a kid understand. Why is it so funny that the Alamo doesn't have a basement? Yeah. (laughs) 
It is a really great sequence. And that's the thing is like, even when you talk about this, it's like all of the sequences they do, they feel like their own like tiny, like little films, like within is those like shorts that were released over time because, and that is like such a great thing to be able to do as a filmmaker, to be able to like set someone on like an adventure story and give every little sequence enough time to breathe that it's really developed, but you're not lingering so long there that it loses its charm. Like that Alamo sequence has to be like this amount of time. It also becomes like believer. Yeah, exactly. And then that's, it's just a very smart decision. But there are also stark differences from each other. Oh, completely. And I love that there's such a little bit of a a, a scariness to it. Like, you know, the large Marge, the clowns with the dream sequence. I hate those clowns. (laughs) I was not happy during the clown sequences. So, all right. I mean, we we can sit here and gush about the movie all day. Yes. Um, Apparently. Alice, I know we say that about a lot of movies. And I think always it's once you start talking about a movie, especially something like this, that's like so iconic. It's just scene after scene. And I would venture to guess we'll probably like stop recording and go, oh, we should talk about that scene. Should talk about that scene. And that is a testament to the movie for yes, sure. Agreed completely. But I think you had some questions for me. Yes. So my questions are this. And do you think this would get made today? By Tim Burton. <laughs> All right, Tim Burton's off the table. My initial answer actually is no, because I think this character can come across as, I hate to say it, like almost obnoxious at times. I don't know if you put this character today with somebody that hasn't seen it. That's why I was so curious with you, having not seen it as a kid, would it still play the same way? So my initial thought would be, no, somebody that sees this type of character now without any history of it, without the nostalgia of when the time period, I don't know if it plays the same way with our same sensibilities, with our same life. But then as I more think about it, I'm like, but you, there is a space for these types of characters. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen's doing it all the time. Like, yeah, for sure. you know, so... And I know they're not exactly apples to apples comparison, but I do think that there are these very specific type of characters that are going to hit a niche audience. Um, I mean, the fact that there was just a Netflix movie about Pee-wee, you know, um, a year or two ago, you know, another um, about his big holiday, I think it was called. Yeah. um, You know, shows that there's still an audience for it. So, no, my initial reaction would be no. But the more I think about it, you know, you just never know what's going to hit. It's so good. It's. I mean, we're talking about it now, you know, 35 years later. And I mean, actually, even longer than that, if you talk about when it was created. Yeah, I mean, of course. so it, it's so, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it could be. But nobody else but Paul Rubens can do Pee Wee. No, exactly. Because and I think you giving like such a fantastic history of like that character and how it came to be perhaps speaks to why it can't be done, because something like that has to really develop over time and be workshopped for it to work because it can be something as you point out that's annoying and obnoxious but if it's the right actor doing it and and the right amount of time spent really developing and like nurturing that character's development then something like that can work so another question what is your favorite rube goldberg machine of all time oh you know it's funny you bring that up because you have probably the two most notable in film history that came out a month apart. Doc Brown's dog food machine oh my goodness, came yes. out in July of 1985. Yeah. And then you have Tim Burton's Pee Wee's Big Adventure breakfast <laughs> machine. So, I mean, those are the two. And then maybe, you know, throw in Mousetrap. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. 
All right, not that I'm saying we would, and not that I'm saying anyone should, but if you were recasting this movie today, how would you recast Pee-wee's Big Adventure? <laughs> well, this is what I'm going to do. Oh, no. I'm going to get David Gordon Green to direct, and we're going to make P.W.'s Big Adventure. <laughs> we're not making Pee-wee's, remaking Pee-wee's Big Adventure. We're making the movie within the movie. Fantastic. So P.W.'s Big Adventure is going to be a serious take on it, just like they did <laughs> in the movie. And if you're going to do that, there's only one person I can pay, play P.W. Who? Josh Brolin. <laughs> James Brolin, his dad, plays him in the, <laughs> in the movie. So now you got Josh Brolin playing him in this. And you're going to play it as the suave, spy-like guy. So then what you got to do is you got to play everybody. As, you know, you got Jennifer Aniston playing Dottie. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> you got Marissa Tomei playing Simone, who which we barely talked about. Who I don't think we talked about it all today. Literally did not. Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> you got uh, uh, Kathy Bates playing Large Marge. <laughs> And then, like, the only, I mean, the only people I can think of for Mickey, you got Bill Hader, I think would be great playing as this ex-criminal that he comes across. And then, I mean, and I see Francis as this, like, annoying tech kid, tech young guy that, like, wants to steal this red, you know, bike that he knows has got, like, all of these documents in it. That's Ben Schwartz, right? You got this, like, you Every, know, Facebook type. <laughs> I have literally hit myself in the head with my notebook as he's doing this. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that's and what actually, I want to see. Can I tell you? Somebody it, needs to go out there and just make this movie. If nothing else, do it as a fun, like, YouTube 20-minute like special. special. Yeah. All right, see, I was going to say it needs to be an hour. But, like, a special. <laughs> because I'm just imagining, like, Thanos on the bike. Like, really longing for it. I actually really love your casting. I love this idea. Because you're right. At the heart of it, no one else can be Pee-wee. And that's what makes that character so great. Because no one else can be Pee-wee. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's really important and special when you can have moments in film or in television where someone's work in it is so iconic that it can't be redone. Because then that thing always just gets to be special and original. I'm so happy you said the word original because that is what makes it so special. It was this original character that was produced by a labor of love and has been honed over the years that made it so unique and special to the point where a kid at six years old could watch that movie and, you know, 30-some years later still love it, or an adult who sees it 35 years after it was created and love it just as much. It just has lasted. It was unique, and that's what the mark that it's made and that's why no one can ever touch this character (laughs) and should ever touch this character and that's why i'm so happy we did this film to put it out today because in this very weird uncertain time and has the potential to get a lot stranger in the upcoming days we can all look to pewee and think about how he looks at the world with this joy with this happiness with this fun So when the weight of the world gets a little too heavy, get out your giant toothbrush, (laughs) put on tequila and dance in your living room and make sure you have some Mr. T cereal. (laughs) Well said. If you're not already, please follow us on Instagram at how could you podcast on Twitter at how could you pod. You can send emails to us at how could you podcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you haven't seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure, how could you not have seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure? 
Until next time, tell them Large Marge sent you and enjoy the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs>